you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Wow. Today's guest is my definition of restaurant rock star. Mr. Roger Perry of the Dats Group in Tampa, Florida started a first restaurant with no restaurant experience just nine years ago. Now Dats is turning the restaurant scene upside down with attention to critical details and constant innovation. Listen as Roger tells us how opening a bakery solved a critical problem and a future threat to that first restaurant. We speak about cutting-edge marketing and the impact of creating photo opportunities, building a culture of hospitality and family to develop staff, the power of a craft beer program, the importance of knowing your critical numbers, and staying hands-on in this most challenging business. Roger shares so much actionable advice from in the trenches. You're going to go back to your restaurant with powerful new ideas to improve your operations, stay relevant, and ahead of your competition. You know, I'm passionate about this business, and speaking with other operators like Roger is a huge inspiration for me. Before I get on with the episode, I want you to know that I'd love to talk with you. If you're having a restaurant challenge or just have a burning question in need of advice, let's chat. It's fun for me and a real game changer, and also complimentary. It's on me. Just use my calendar link. Last, I have to tell you that Restaurant Rockstars is having a huge summer sale for a limited time only on some of our most popular and powerful training tools for restaurants. The Profit Maximizer delivers three powerful techniques to boost cash in your restaurant. SalesStars is the complete service staff training system that builds your dream team, lowers turnover, increases sales, and delivers amazing guest service experiences. And last, we just launched our latest and greatest all-new product, How to Start a Mug Club. Whether you sell draft beer or have a coffee shop, it's a proven way to bring in thousands of dollars in new cash flow while building affinity with your customer. Check it out. On sale now at restaurantrockstars.com. Now, on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. I'm so excited today. I have Mr. Roger Perry. He's with the Dats Restaurant Group, and his growing portfolio of restaurants is really reinventing the Tampa, Florida food scene. So I'm really excited to uh, welcome you to the show, Roger. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I'm excited to work with you on this. So it all began with a Dats restaurant, and that was in 2009, which led to a bakery, a whimsical bakery called Doe, which led to a New Orleans-themed restaurant called Rue. And now this month, I understand you're opening up a new barbecue restaurant called Dr. Barbecue. So, that's wow, correct. that's exciting stuff. Yeah, we're, uh, we're really looking forward to the Dr. Barbecue concept. Um, just a little history, uh, there is a Dr. Barbecue He lives in uh, St. Petersburg. His real name is Ray Lampy, and uh, he's in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Uh, He's written nine cookbooks. He's uh, been the spokesman for Big Green Egg for 15 years, and he's been a friend of ours since we opened Dats in 2009. So when my wife and I, Suzanne, uh, decided to open a barbecue restaurant here in Tampa, our thoughts were, what a better place to uh, start than talk to Dr. Barbecue about partnering with us. Uh, to open this uh, this new concept. 
That is really exciting stuff. Now, I've heard of the big green egg. I've actually seen some for sale just down the street here in Sun Valley, Idaho. So he's also a spokesperson for Big Green Egg and obviously a huge barbecue fan with a big following. Roger, let me ask you, how did you get into the restaurant business? What's your story? <laughs> well, I was retired at the time. And I had just sold my, uh, my horse farm in Ocala and had retired for the second time in my life. And uh, we were living here in Florida and Tampa. And, you know, as retired people in Tampa, we had a son in, in school still in, in uh, middle school and, and then in high school here. So we couldn't travel as much as we wanted to because of him. Uh, and we were just, you know, my wife said, we're going to be that couple that dies because they're bored to death with nothing to do. And she said, why don't you open that restaurant that we've been talking about? So, uh, we went down the path. I found a building, bought the building. She was thinking more of a 10 seat small restaurant, but knowing the way my other businesses went in the past, uh, it was a big restaurant seats, 180, two stories, high volume. Uh, it, uh, just grew into be a behemoth. You know, that's, that's really incredible. And it, and it sort of mirrors my story, you know, 25 years ago or so I started my first restaurant and I was a business guy with business experience, but I had never been in the restaurant business before. So is that similar to your situation and how did you it's, learn it's this operation? Different animal. I was in retail for a number of oh. years, probably 25 years of my early life. I had big retail pet food stores. Uh, so there is some similarity dealing with the public and customers and getting, you know, trying to, you know, grow your business. Uh, so I had that aspect. My wife worked for a high-end cosmetics company, uh, had the whole Southeast region here in the United States. So she was involved in retail also. But as you know, the restaurant's a different animal. Certainly is. It's one of the most challenging businesses that I know of, and I've been in many different types of businesses. Let me ask you, Roger, what would you say your biggest challenge was in first opening DATS? And then once you answer that question, what are the biggest challenges in then expanding to other restaurants within a small restaurant, you know, a growing restaurant group? Right. Well, you know, we, we bought the building and remodeled it from the ground up. So right there, you're dealing with city ordinances and, uh, you know, city politics and slow-moving bureaucracy. So that, that was the first hurdle, is to get over that hump. Um, and you have to have a lot of patience to do that. Uh, once we got past that, uh, basically the learning curve. I'm not a chef. My wife's not a chef. We had a great concept in mind that we wanted to emulate. And, uh, you know, we started working on recipes and, and moving down that, uh, down that uh, path. But then you also have the economics, you know, how, how are you going to fund the growth and, uh, and the future expansion, uh, dealing with uh, everyday hiring employees. Um, it's just uh, there's a lot of balls in there that you have to manage on a daily basis. Uh, but the biggest, biggest hurdle was just learning the business and learning the numbers. Um, that I suppose was probably the biggest hurdle. You know, you have to know your prime cost, stay within your cost and, uh, and, uh, listen to your customers. Um, don't ever think that you know better than your customers do because if that's the case, you won't be in business very long. Um, so, uh, and then being also nimble on your feet. Um, if something doesn't work, change it, you know, don't, don't force it, uh, and move on to the next uh, idea or the next, uh, idea that you have that is come, might, might come from a customer, might come from a friend. You never know where these ideas are coming from. Some of our best-selling items on our 
on our menu or come from friends, suggestions. So just keep your ears open and keep your eyes on the numbers. Did you spend uh, a tremendous amount of time hands-on in the first uh, restaurant when you first started it? Did you hire a management team that knew all the things that filled in the missing pieces? I mean, now we're talking about systems. You talked about prime cost, cost controls, listening to the customer, marketing, you know, new menu items. I mean, were you really hands-on with that or did you delegate because, you know, that's what you do when you have a successful business? You no, we were hands-on and we're still hands-on. Okay, great. I, I just left a meeting with my wife, uh, Dr. Barbecue, and our beverage manager uh, going over the cocktail list for the new Dr. Barbecue restaurant. I mean, we are hands-on every day making decisions that affect our business. Uh, just to give you an idea of the separation of powers, uh, I basically uh, uh, work with the, my accountant and uh, our lenders to keep, them, you know, to keep them, the engine running and keep it financed. Um, I work with my accountant to make sure that, uh, you know, the bills get paid and that uh, um, we stay on track with our financial statements and our accounting processes. Uh, my wife is more involved in the marketing end of it uh, and operations, and I'm more back of the house and I'll purchase equipment, making sure that things are maintained and maintenance and all that. So that's kind of the separation of powers. It works real well. Um, sometimes we butt heads, but for the most part, we're a pretty good team because we, we have our separations. Um, but you're right. Systems are really important. And being a small independent restaurant group, we probably are as techy uh, as any restaurant uh, chain out there. Um, being in, you know, you being in the business, you've probably heard of Compete, which is a back-of-the-house software that we use. It uh, has all of our recipes in it. It updates our pricing as we enter invoices daily. We run our PLs weekly. All of our um, all of our sit back of the house systems run out of compete. Uh, we use hot schedules for our scheduling. Uh, all of our managers are budgeted with a with a budget that they have to meet weekly to schedule to. Our uh, kitchen managers do the ordering, have budgets for the food purchasing based off of projections that our general managers do weekly for each restaurant. Obviously, based on our historical um, usage, uh, we also have. Um, uh, Toast we're using as our uh, front of the house uh, POS. It's uh, cloud-based. Uh, the servers can punch in tablets at the table. People swipe at the table. It updates instantly. So I can go on my phone right now and tell you what our sales, comps, labor, everything is at every one of our restaurants on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. So having the numbers at your fingertips is critical today uh, to run a successful restaurant business. Yes, that was one of my questions. I'm really glad you got into that, Roger, because I'm a huge believer in these systems and understanding. Well, you know, I started with the fundamentals. You know, I understood all this stuff before I got into the technology. So, you know, technology does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, but I'm a solid believer that you, you know, as an operator, you must understand the, you know, those foundational fundamentals of cost controls before you actually get the software to do it for you. So right. I'm really glad that, that you talked about that. That's critically, critically important for any operator to, uh, you know, to have a profitable and successful business. Let's talk about how you moved on from the first restaurant to the bakery. Was that just a natural transition to, you know, the bakery before you got into Rue and some of the other concepts? I mean, to, let, let's talk about your journey to opening additional restaurants. Well, it was... Uh, it, uh, you, 
you haven't seen our location here, um, we're on a busy street in McDill. That's where McDill Air Force Base is. Mm-hmm. Um, on a corner lot with a traffic light. Well, right next door to us was a bakery. Uh, was owned by a gentleman by the name of Mike Kalupa. He had been in the bakery business for 30 years. And the building sat on the lot right next to ours on McDill. And he was aging and wanting to retire. So I talked to him about um, when you get ready to sell, let me know because I'd be interested in buying it. And if you know anything about our area, our, our biggest complaint on Yelp is not our food, not our service, it's parking. We're in an urban area, uh, and businesses on the main street backed up by residences. So I see. Uh, parking is really, really a tough thing uh, in, our, in our area. So he had parking in the front and the back of his building, 22 spaces. And I couldn't afford for someone to come in and buy that. And then we'd have parking wars. Oh, yes. Kind of. The, the joke is I bought a parking lot and got a bakery. <laughs> that's, okay. that's, that's a I great bought, story. When I bought dough um, from Mr. Kalupa, uh, in, in 30 days, our sales at that's increased $10,000 a week. So you can see how critical parking is in our area. I can totally so, see that. You know, yeah. We bought dough and we said, okay, we have a bakery. We don't, we know nothing about a bakery, but mm-hmm. you know, we buy bread, we buy desserts. I suppose we could make them in house. He had a bread maker. He had a, he had a cake uh, decorator. He had bakers there. So we kept a lot of his people and we started producing, um, baked goods for our restaurants as well as to sell in dough. We baked our own breads from scratch. And at the time, if you remember back, Voodoo Donuts and some of those donut shops were opening up, and donuts were starting to become a real craze. So we jumped into the donut business, and it's still one of our our best-selling items at Dough is our donuts. We're famous for our donuts. Um, And then we added homemade ice cream, so we make our own ice cream in-house. So it's kind of evolved just like Dats has, but it's, you know, we bought a parking lot and got a bakery, and then we had to figure out how to make it work. And running a bakery is entirely different than running a restaurant. The numbers are different. Yes. Uh, you're selling, you know, dollar, dollar and a quarter, dollar forty nine donuts and coffee, uh, so it's a challenge to get your numbers right. But those profitable and and it's a, an asset to the to the restaurant group. Do you find that it also leads the bakery leads to new business uh, for Dats as well? When someone comes to the bakery and then they see Dats next door and there's appeal and then they try you and then wow, suddenly we have a new favorite restaurant. They feed off of each other. That's yeah. correct. Um, our our vision was to make dough like the dessert room because dads we go on a wait a lot and we don't want customers sitting in chairs eating a five dollar piece of cake when i could turn it and sell them a 25 dollar entree so we don't really push desserts during our peak hours at dats uh we, we force people to go over to dough to have their dessert that was the, the plan uh, and we also have a retail dessert area in dats uh cases that they can go down and buy a piece of cake or a brownie or a cupcake to take home. And we do a lot of that also. So, you know, one feeds off the other. It's interesting how they work, but um, it it hasn't become the dessert room we wanted it to be. It's kind of its own animal. But people do leave Dats and go over and, you know, maybe buy some donuts for the next morning or get, you know, get some ice cream. Uh, So it it does. One feeds the other. Yeah, you're, you're bringing up an interesting point. I mean, I had a huge restaurant. It had about 350 seats in it, and the Saturday night was just, you know, 
pandemonium, as you can uh, imagine. Right. But yeah, there's certain times when you definitely don't want your staff selling. You want to turn those tables and keep moving. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I had that issue as well back in the day. What would you say, uh, what attributes do you personally believe um, you offer your customer that's led to your success in your different concepts? What are those key, you know, those key reasons that people come back for more? What What is the huge appeal? Uh, what have you found there? Well, it's, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, number one, Dats is unique. It's two stories, has a mezzanine. Uh, so it's broken off into separate areas of the restaurant. So it's not like a big open cafeteria, you know, would be. So there are cozy elements to the restaurant where you can feel like you're kind of in a, in a different restaurant than being in the same restaurant. Uh, we build it to be homey and friendly um, and not sterile. So there are a lot of elements that uh, you might have in your home. Uh, and also we have a retail element that restaurants weren't doing at the time. Uh, we carry a lot of local uh, uh, made products as well as artisanal products. Um, you being in the business, you're probably familiar with Zingerman's out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. Have you been there? I have not been. No, I've never been to okay. Ann Arbor, Michigan, but I hear it's a beautiful okay. place. Well, I only go there because of Zingerman's. I'm an Ohio State Buckeye, and oh. Michigan Marines are our nemesis. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Very often. But we actually, when we opened Dats, that's why it's called Delicatessen, we modeled ourselves after Zingerman's. Oh. Uh, we didn't have hamburgers on the menu. It was a true delicatessen. Uh, corned beef, pastrami, uh, Jewish, we had kugels, we had latkes. You know, it was it was basically a delicatessen. We had a lot of imported cheeses, probably 150 imported cheeses. We had a huge barista area. We had um, a lot of your artisanal meats, your uh, Iberico hams, prosciuttos, serranos, all those. Uh, that we retailed, as well as we had a deli area where you could buy sliced meats and cheeses and things. Um, that lasted about a year, and it was not a profit center for our for our restaurant. So we we kind of moved it around and added seating and removed a lot of that. We still have the bakery area, and we still have the retail area for retail dry goods, but we went away from that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, if you remember, craft beer became really big and like 2010, early 2000. We only had six beer taps. So we needed to have more beer taps. So we removed the deli cases downstairs. It backed up to the kitchen and we added about 25 more beer taps, which put us on the market as the craft beer restaurant in Tampa at the time. Now, of course, everybody has it. Uh, But at the time we were named one of the 50 top beer craft beer restaurants in the world. So you see how fast we move. If something doesn't work, we don't force it on people. We, we take it out, we regroup, and we put something in that they're telling us they want, which at the time was craft beers. Let me ask, do you have a mug club, Roger? Um, we have actually, um, we don't have a mug club. We have a great happy hour. Uh, we do have, we launched a, uh, a, a home brewing club out of Dats. It's called Special Operations oh, like uh, because that. of the Air Force Base and the yeah. gentleman that started it uh, was actually a Special Forces guy uh, that worked out of McDill for SOCOM, and he was a huge beer geek. 
uh, and he started a homebrew club out of Dats. And we've won several national titles with their with their special operations beer club. So we, you know, we went after that market, the beer nerds, and that was the place they hung out. We've done a lot of um, tap takeovers, obviously, in our bars way back when, when that was a big thing, where a brewery would come in and we'd put on six or seven taps and have a big event for that uh, for that brewery. We've done a lot with our liquor that way, too. We've brought in um, brewmasters and uh, um, uh, distillers from Kentucky and held events around that. We've done, obviously, beer uh, food collaborations. Uh, we did one with Knob Creek where we, where we smoked a whole hog, butchered it down, done a lot of things like that. That's fantastic marketing. All those ideas are just key nuggets that I'm hoping the listeners take away. That's fantastic. And what a catchy and name also. Great excitement and keep it going. I yeah. don't know, my, my wife is uh, phenomenal at that. Um, she has, a, we're an independent restaurant. Remember, we only have three restaurants. We're getting ready to open our fourth. Mm -hmm. She has herself, two full-time people, and a part-time person in our marketing department. That's unheard of for a um, independent small chain. But because of that, we are the number one reviewed business of any kind in the Tampa Bay area. When Yelp held their national convention in San Francisco, my wife was invited to go. Um, when Urban... Uh, or when Uber Eats came into Tampa to launch their uh, home delivery, they collaborated with Dats because they heard about us through our social media. Uh, we've been on numerous uh, national TV shows. Uh, MTV just filmed at our bakery five episodes. Uh, a Netflix um, dough um, is going to be hitting in July. We did a Netflix uh, a show with, with, uh, for, for dough that's, that's hitting. We just get a lot of national publicity because of our marketing. And we answer everybody that uh, responds on Yelp or one of the platforms negatively or positively. We respond to them with a thank you or I'm sorry you had a bad experience. What can we do to correct it? So we are very active. Uh, Twitter, we're very active on Twitter. Uh, we have a lady that's a, a professor, a full PhD professor from the University of South Florida in their creative writing department. She's the part-timer. She does a lot on Twitter. Uh, we also have a young guy uh, that set up our Skype meeting. He is into gaming, so we have that for gamers. So we've, uh, we've, we we're entering that platform to get the gamers involved with, with Dats as a group. So we really reach out to every platform. And you know the, the next generation coming up there for millennials, that's what they're all about. Absolutely true. And that's yeah. Traditional advertising in, in my business is dead. Yes, absolutely. So word of mouth, online reviews, social media. I mean, this is definitely the future and you got to stay, you know, I'm a big fan of, of this word relevance. You know, so many restaurants right. sort of sit back and say, we got a great business. We're pleased with the way things are going. And they just kind of sit back and they're not always staying ahead of the curve. And suddenly they now, lose you're not relevance. Changing, you're going backwards. Absolutely. So you're, you're talking about innovation. I love the fact that you've had so much critical acclaim, you know, in a positive way. I understand you've been on Good Morning America and the Travel Channel. You mentioned, yeah. you know, all these other accolades. And that is definitely uh, a sign of a true solid operation and, and kudos to your wife for being such a strong marketer and having a strong marketing team. All of these are yeah. key nuggets for our, our audience to, uh, to take away from today. 
Let's, another another um, thing, too, which your audience should know is we go to every um, convention or conference that's applicable to our business. We're not a bar, but my wife went to the bar conference in Las Vegas. Uh, she went to a third-party delivery conference in Dallas. Uh, right now, we have four major uh, home delivery food services in Tampa. We have Amazon, Grubhub, DoorDash, and Uber. Mm-hmm. And... We have actually a third-party um, provider now that integrates all those orders into one that goes to our kitchen instead of having four tablets and having to accept orders and figure it all out. Uh, she went to that convention and picked up from that. At that same convention, she learned about the gamers. We came back and set up a, a Dats for Gamers. Uh, so, you know, go to, we just got back from the NRA show in Chicago, staying current on... Uh, menu trends, uh, Generation Zs and Xs that are coming up, uh, as well as uh, innovations in food equipment. You know, what's new out there that makes uh, labor, uh, you know, labor is a huge component of our business. What can we do to save labor uh, with new innovative uh, technology and cooking appliances and things? So if you haven't, I know it's an expense, but it's well worth it. I mean, one little tidbit that you pick up could save you thousands and thousands of dollars uh, over a year. Yeah, you never know what's around the next corner. And I'm a huge believer in education. And like you said, these conferences and what you see at the NRA show, although the NRA show is absolutely overwhelming, it takes five days to see it all if you're doing it right. We, we you know? took six people and we gave yeah. them, you know, here's, here's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And then we would meet and go over what they saw that day. And if it was relevant, yeah. my wife and I'd back again. Look at Divide and conquer. Two people can't, just can't do it. It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I go every year and it's like, for the most part, I'm a solo guy and I'm just like hitting it all, talking to people, networking, seeing what's new. And yeah, there is so much to see. But you're right. It's an investment. It's not a cost. And what you take away will often save you tons of money, give you new marketing ideas, new equipment that's efficient. You can't say enough about the education portion and just staying ahead of the curve again. Well, Let's you know, if you're not doing it, your competitor is. So you better be doing it. Absolutely true. You know, I was always about dominating the competition. What are they doing and what can we be doing better? And, you know, staying relevant, staying ahead of the curve. It's That's what it's about in this business. I mean, that's what makes it fun. You know, being competitive and is what the fun part of the business is. That's part of the passion. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree 100%. Like when we, get ready, when we were ready to open Dr. Barbecue or, or we're going through the process of of developing the concept. My wife and I have traveled, I can't tell you how many miles, but we've eaten probably in 120, 125 barbecue restaurants from Texas through through Tennessee, through Georgia, through the, the Carolinas, I mean, uh, Kansas City. I mean, we've just traveled everywhere uh, to eat, eat barbecue. And there's a lot of good barbecue. There's a lot of bad barbecue. Uh, and, you know, there's there's restaurants now that are that are bringing in world flavors into barbecue uh, that are that are setting new trends in in what barbecue has become. And that's that's what we want to be. Uh, new American barbecue that has basically world flavors, you know, Korean, um, Chinese, Japanese, Mexican, you know, South American. There's so many different countries that actually do barbecue, obviously, in different forms. But we, we want to. We want to be traditional, but we want to bring in some new stuff. 
So those were your influences. Obviously, you, you just mentioned that you traveled and you ate so many different types of barbecues. You found what you liked, what works, what doesn't work. And you obviously shared that with Dr. Barbecue, who's well known in the barbecue industry. So did you collaborate on the menu? Did did you leave it to him to say, this is what's relevant and trending now? And how, did, how does that work in, in partnership with someone well, else that you it, bring it's in? it's interesting because we've never had really a partner before. It's just been my wife and I making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is kind of new for us. Um, he is, again, was he started when barbecue competitions just started happening. So he was like one of the pioneers yes. in competitive barbecue. He's won 300 you know, different um, barbecue events. Um, so he was one of the founding fathers. But his, his roots go back to the past. So he is relevant with the new flavors because he traveled with us a lot and tasted a lot of the new barbecues. Uh, there's one actually in Brooklyn, New York, of all places, called Hometown Barbecue that we were really impressed with because he was bringing in flavors of his neighborhood. You know, Brooklyn is a mishmash of a lot of different neighborhoods. So he was bringing in the Vietnamese, the Korean, a lot of flavors into his barbecue, but still had the traditional brisket you know, that you would expect pulled pork that you would expect at a, at a barbecue restaurant. Uh, and that kind of opened Ray's eyes a little bit mm-hmm. to what you could be and has become. Um, so it's been easier to transition now that he's seen it. Uh, the latest one is international smoke, which is Alicia Curry and Michael Mina's restaurant in San Francisco, where they've taken it even one step further. Uh, it's almost, it's still barbecue, but if you didn't know, it might be a little unrecognizable as barbecue. Uh, but it, that's happening all over the United States right now. Um, also in our travels, we, we saw different barbecue pits, which, you know, you have a lot of choices how you want to smoke your barbecue. Absolutely true. Uh, mm-hmm. And all of the barbecue that we ate that we really loved, was a lot of it was smoked on a J&R oiler. So when we decided to, what to buy, that influenced what we wanted to buy because that we thought that produced the best barbecue. So that's our pit. Um, we also have an old hickory that will be for our bone-in product because you cook at a little higher temperature. So in researching the barbecue restaurant, uh, we learned a lot of things. You know, a lot of barbecue restaurants are cafeteria style. Uh, we wanted to have a liquor bar because we think bourbon and barbecue are a huge component plus liquor is a very profitable center in a restaurant and we do uh, very well at our other restaurants with our liquor programs so to have a cafeteria style barbecue restaurant it doesn't lend to people you know buying liquor or even desserts or appetizers and appetizers are huge at Dats and Rue so we decided to go with more of a traditional sit-down barbecue restaurant which the old ones in Lockhart, and a lot of them aren't that. Uh, but some of the newer ones are. Uh, in, uh, in New York, Southern Hospitality, uh, uh, Blue Smoke, which is a Danny Meyer concept, um, International Smoke, Q39 in Kansas City, which was done by a, a, a high-end uh, hotel chef. They're all sit-downs, and we saw what the bar, bar business was great. People were in appetizers. So we decided to go that route, which is different than most of the barbecue restaurants in our area. 
This is all fascinating stuff, all about, you know, how you research a concept, you immerse yourself in the nuances and all the different styles. And you're, you're, I can't wait to, to hear how this goes, Roger, because I'm sure that, you know, the marketing wheels are already turning. You're creating excitement for the concept before you even open. And the flavors are just going to, the aromas, the flavors, the wow factor on the plate, right. it's all yeah. going to combine and people are going to be talking. And there's that word of mouth. And then the social media right. is going to kick in and the online reviews. And it's all just going to be huge. I mean, how many seats are you planning on Dr. Barbecue? It'll have... 220 something like that and it's and it's laid out like that so it yeah. has a mezzanine that's a good sense uh, when you walk in the front doors you're you're facing the big smoker mm. and then off to your left is our bar and we bought um timbers like barn timbers mm -hmm. yep um out of uh, wisconsin that were reclaimed barn timbers so the bar is 23 foot wide and 16 foot high and the corners of the bar are 18 by 18 solid barn timbers uh, it has a cloud that floats over it that weighs a ton of with barn timbers. Yeah. And Edison bulbs, 50 Edison bulbs will hang down from it. Uh, another thing that's, that is a trend in restaurants today, which you never saw before, are a lot of um, casual seating areas without tables. Mm -hmm. So you would sit in a casual seat. You'd have a coffee table or an end table. Uh, and you would order your food and sit at, at casual seating. Or you come in, uh, you know, midday for an appetizer and a cocktail, or you come in late night for an appetizer and a cocktail. So our bar, our bars, uh, we have one downstairs, and then we have two patios. We have a downstairs patio and an upstairs patio. The upstairs patio is all casual seating, and it has an outdoor bar. So we've set it up for, again, different feelings in different rooms. Um, so every time you come there, you could have a whole different experience, which I think differentiates us from a lot of other places. Absolutely. Let me ask you, Roger, do you, you know, work with chairs, the... tables colored in different rooms? Uh -huh. So as you walk through the place, it's like going to amusement park. It changes. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you work with designers or is this you and your wife brainstorming ambiance saying, I think it should have this. This is an exciting idea. This is going to create that splash when people walk through the door. Well, when we traveled, and again, we traveled a lot, you pick up things yes. from different places. A lot of it were from hotels, you know, because you're staying in hotels while you're out. And we try to stay in the new uh, kind of kitschy hotels yes. uh, to see what they're doing. And we pick a lot up from hotels. Uh, and we came back and we said, okay, this are the elements we like. We gave it to our architect. We also have a friend that's a designer, but he's not a restaurant designer. He does a lot of high-end homes, but he has a great eye for color, a great eye for placement. And he understands taking things to repurpose um, and tries to, you know, we save money that way. Um, it's not always the most money gets the biggest bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. uh, like we just bought an, a 19th century day bed, an antique day bed to put downstairs in the bar in our casual seating area. I mean, how cool is that? So, you wouldn't think of it, but once you see it, it's like, wow. Yeah. And, and again, all this is done for Instagram. You need if you're if you're building a restaurant today, you need to say, 
not only people Instagram food, they Instagram areas. We have, I don't know if Suzanne or anybody told you, we have the back of our building is 26 foot high and 40 foot across. We're doing a mural. Yeah, that's a huge billboard for the restaurant. Yeah. What's, and, describe and, that. Well, St. Petersburg has a, every year they have a uh, festival called Shine. Mm -hmm. And they bring in muralists, artists from all over the world, and they go in and paint buildings, sides of buildings. So if you come to St. Petersburg, there's murals all over downtown, small ones, big ones, and the artist does what he wants to do. So it's part of the culture of St. Pete. Mm -hmm. uh, we turned it down a year ago because we wanted to do our own that was specific to us. Right. So basically, it is a big American flag with Dr. Barbecue's image on it. And if you know Dr. Barbecue, he has a distinct look. Yes. He has a white flat top. He has a white goatee. He has cool glasses. He wears a lot of flames on his on his uh, chef coats uh, with his arms crossed. So it's going to be his image. But Trademark. then also along yeah. the side is going to be, I guess, retro images of Americana, Wonder Woman, um, the Princess Leia. Yeah. Uh, you know, things that would be iconic of Americana. Yeah. So it's become an Instagram area. Oh, for sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, everything we do in the restaurant, what's it going to look like if somebody wants to take a picture there? Yes. And that's important because thousands and thousands and thousands of Instagram photos go out all over the world as well as in our, in our area. And that's free advertising. Oh, and it's going to be huge, too. I mean, I can see the selfies and the Instagram photos oh, yeah. flying, like, right uh, every single day. That is absolutely another key marketing point you're covering right now. Yeah, everything we do, you need to think about how is it going to photograph, to play it. I mean, how do you make barbecue pretty? Really? I mean, think about it. Pulled pork. There's nothing uglier than pulled pork. How do you make it pretty? That's the challenge in today's world. You know, you just can't throw it on a on a tray and, and send it out because people are going to take pictures of it. Oh yeah. And it might be good barbecue, but it might look like crap. Well, and I call that wow factor. Everything yeah. about your restaurant should be about creating wow factor. And when I ran restaurants, it was originally about the plate presentations, but then we said, well, everything should be about wow factor. It should be, you know, someone walks in the door and they see something that catches their eye and out comes the camera phones. You know, everything should make a splash and it's a marketing opportunity and it gets people talking and it, it, and it keeps starts at the parking down. lot. You know, it starts at the parking lot. It does. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you just that you always have to be cognizant, you know, plating. Just picking your plates. What are you going to put the food on? I mean, you make a mistake there and, you know, you could spend several thousand dollars and have to start all over again. Because mm -hmm. some things just don't photograph well. That is absolutely You know, true. white white is kind of mundane, but it's great for photographs. So you've got to try to figure out, you know, a mix of things that are going to be, you know, photographable and work, obviously, for plating. It's a huge, you know, it's a huge undertaking. Especially in a restaurant with our patios, we're like 9,500 square feet. It's a big restaurant. That is big. Let me ask um, if we could move on. I mean, we've covered so many key, um, you know, exciting attributes about what makes your restaurant group tick. 
I'd say the foundational element, especially today, you know, everyone's talking about labor shortage. It's so hard to find staff. It's so hard to keep staff, that sort of thing. You obviously have a successful approach on staff hiring, staff training. Let's let's go there. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a good question because it's that's right now, and that's our biggest challenge in this country. You know, Trump's initiative with the tax cut has really put a hurt on, mm-hmm. you know, people uh, because there's so many jobs out there and not enough people to fill them, uh, especially in our industry where it takes a, you know, a little bit of skill for a lot of this. Um, we as a group um, know that it takes a lot of money to train people and you don't want turnover. You want to try to keep good people. So we have a health insurance program that's, that's fairly decent. Uh, I know in our business, it's really hard because uh, of our tight margins, but in today's world, that's something that you have to offer. Uh, our, our employees make good money because we're busy restaurants. I mean, that's probably the biggest key. You know, when you're in a doing, you know, that's that's a little approach seven million dollars this year. You can make good money at that for when sure. You, you know, if you go to another restaurant, you're not going to make that money, and you can pick your hours. We're real flexible on hours. Uh, with hot schedules, they can swap shifts as long as the manager approves it. So if something comes up, they can, you know, put their shift out on hot schedules and somebody can pick it up. So flexibility is important for a lot of our servers. Uh, Our back of the house guys, um, we spend a lot of time in training so that that they're comfortable putting out the product that we want. Uh, Again, we try to be as flexible as we can with their hours because that's, we run basically three shifts. We're open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we have a breakfast shift. We have a shift that comes in for lunch, and then we have a four o'clock, five, five o'clock shift that comes in at dinner. So if you know somebody's wife is going to school and her schedule changed, they can flip from lunch to dinner or whatever. Um, we also um, appreciate our employees. We have you know a Christmas party. Uh, we uh, the back of the house guys. Uh, we have contests during the year where. Um, they can make something for the menu, and if they if if it gets on the menu, you know they get gift cards, they get recognition, they get uh, you know maybe some days off work paid. Um, so we try to keep their enthusiasm up by um, you know giving them some incentives. Two of our best-selling items on our menu uh, were developed from the kitchen on this contest, um, and then servers out front can be involved in that too. Uh, so it's it's you know we we we. We try to make everybody think it's part of, we're a family. Mm-hmm. They can switch restaurants. You know, if they want to go work at our Cajun Creole restaurant, they go down there and work or vice versa. Uh, right now, we've got some that want to move to St. Petersburg and work at Dr. Barbecue because they live, live closer to there. So you really, you really, it's r- running a restaurant with an iron fist today does not work. You know, you have to understand that these people have lives outside of working for you. And sometimes with the younger people, that's more important to them than a job. Uh, where I came from back in the old days, your job was most important. Your loyalty was to the job, sometimes over your family. It's not that way today. So you have to make it interesting for them to come to work every day and feel good about their job and want to, and want to come back to work the next day. Well, it sounds to me, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're very hands-on, and I can obviously tell by, by speaking with you in this, in this interview. So you obviously lead by example, and you're a believer in empowerment of the staff and recognition and rewards, and that is how you lower turnover and increase longevity. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't claim to know everything. So if somebody's got a better idea, in fact, we incentivize people, if they come up with a better idea to streamline something, to make it better, whether it's, you know, flavor profiles in a dish or, uh, you know, eliminating a, a step, eliminating labor, um, you know, consolidating something to, to eliminate labor and food costs, you know, we give them incentives for that. Um, which, you know, they're, they're in the pits, they're in the trenches. They, they come up with ideas that we wouldn't think of because we're not there. And some of our best ideas come out of that way. We listen to our servers, same thing, our bartenders, you know. Um, we try to keep everything maintained well so they have, you know, real good working equipment. And sometimes that's a challenge because when you're open from 6 o'clock in the morning till midnight, there's not a whole lot of work time to do work on stuff. So, you know, we have two maintenance guys that work for us. They come in overnight and, you know, and they do a lot of maintenance overnight. But keeping a good equipment, you know, a sound, safe working environment is important for them. You know, we hear that a lot when people come to work for us. Um, you know, well, you know, the equipment, they wouldn't keep the equipment repaired or, you know, the health inspections were bad or, you know, uh, you know, just lots of things like that that we hear. Let me ask you a final question, Roger, before we sign off. Um, what advice would you offer an independent operator with one successful restaurant that wants to expand to another concept and then possibly another after that to follow your, your example of what you've done? Do you have any key nuggets of advice to move on to the second concept? Your numbers better be right. You better know your numbers, mm -hmm. and you be able to, should be able to back them up. And so, so having the right systems, to me, is key if you're going to grow. If you can't grow without systems. So get your systems in place. Know your numbers. And obviously, you know your business because you need to be able to talk about it. And then you need to have a business plan for growth. How are you going to finance it? You know, where, where are you, where's your customers coming from? Like before we ever opened Dr. Barbecue, we sent out a um, search. My wife sent it out, a uh, crowdsourcing. Where would you like to see the next DATS? Or where would you like to see, it was actually a DATS. It was opening a DATS in St. Petersburg too. Mm -hmm. An overwhelming re response, and we had thousands and thousands and thousands of people respond. Downtown St. Petersburg was number one. So we knew, you know, that pretty much tells you where you need to put your next restaurant. Um, Make sure you're going into an area that's growing and not declining. Um, you know, make sure that if you're if you're buying the property or if you're leasing the property that you you have enough money in reserve because things are going to come up that you never think of. Building costs are going to be more. Remodeling costs are going to be more than you projected. You know, sometimes it could be 30% more than you project because you get started in it and you say, oh well, that's a cool idea. Let's do that. Well, then you've got a change order and that's another ten or fifteen thousand dollars. So make sure you have the financing behind you because the worst thing you want to do is come up short. So it, I guess that's the biggest thing, the financing and knowing your numbers. All key important uh, uh, advice there, Roger. You've been a wealth of information and experience. I'm, there were so many takeaways in this particular interview, so I'm certainly appreciative of your time today and the benefit that you're uh, presenting to our audience. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I appreciate your listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you're hearing. Thank you again, Roger, for being on the podcast. Roger, my pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.